Have you ever wanted to have a conversation with a professional working in your field of interest? Are you intrigued about how they got started in their career and what it's really like in their line of work? Welcome to the Five Questions podcast, initiated by the academic heads of St. Sophia College. You'll be surprised by how much you can discover with just five questions. Welcome back to the second half of Sarah's interview with Julie Baird, the director of the Newcastle Museum. On, on the flip side, um, what aspect of your job do you find the most challenging? I think sometimes, and and I guess it's sort of related to the same thing, that uh, that relationship piece. You cannot please everyone all the time. And sometimes um, that is the hard thing, is the juggling act. So we have um, a small staff, uh, we have a tight budget. So it's all about what, what we can't do that is, is hard for me. Um, you know, we always have more ideas than time. Uh, and it's about, for me, it's become playing a long game. So, so it's almost a patience piece. I'm not a process girl. I want to get to the end of the journey. My my magic power is teleportation. Uh, you know, I don't I don't sit back and enjoy the journey. I go, come on, let's get there. Um, so sometimes it's about not being able to do as much as you want to, um, or doing things. And you know, the creative process is a very brave process. So you really put yourself out there. Every musician who stands on stage, every artist who exhibits something on a wall, every writer who publishes, as soon as you do that, you open yourself up to criticism and you have to learn that that is not about you, uh, that um, that is about your work. So a lot of the time, if I can uh, educate, or sprog or engage and try and explain why um, we've made those choices. But often it's about the, the hardest bit with my job isn't the financial side or the paperwork side or that kind of thing. It's, it's knowing what you can't do in the time you have. That's the kind of answer I was really hoping you'd give me. <laughs> rather than something really technical or difficult to digest. No, I think that's something that so many people can relate to or, or worry about within their own fields of work. Yeah. Well, that brings me to the final question I've got prepared. Um, unless you want to add anything more about the challenges you faced or like a specific instance where you felt really constricted. Well, I, I guess, you know, um, it's funny because the museum industry is uh, predominantly gendered female. So you actually have a large number of women working in the field. Um, I think the hardest thing when I first got into it was that I was working in predominantly masculine environments. Um, and I was coming in as an expert uh, with people. And so way back in the day, there was a lot of really difficult things about being a young woman in the areas that I was in. And, um, you know, I, I, I discovered 
quite early on in my career that if you went in the toilet, the women's toilet and had a cry that, that no one could follow you in because you were working with only men. Um, and so I guess over time, I think that's changed, but there's still, despite the uh, high levels of, of women in museums, there's still a bit of a glass ceiling. So, you know, there's still uh, the number of women who run major national and state organizations you can count on one hand. Um, and I think that that glass ceiling is starting to drop, but, you know, at the, the museums conference uh, I went to, I decided to take a photo of every man at the conference dinner with me, decided to do a selfie. Uh, <laughs> men of the glam sector, when you, and, and it seemed like a light thing, but there was a, a reason behind it besides networking. So when I was at the edges of the dining room, there were very few men. The further I got towards the stage and towards the uh, center of the room, the more men and less women, uh, more men in major major uh, positions of power. Mm -hmm. And I think that we're, we're certainly starting to change that. Um, and I certainly don't feel um, that level of, um, I don't feel held back by my gender. I don't feel held back by my, um, you know, like I've got four kids. So my kids have, have grown up in museums and I was the primary breadwinner uh, and I had a stay-at-home casually working husband. So, you know, things like financially, it was always very hard. You don't make big bucks in museums. Uh, you do it for, for passion and love and wine and cheese. Uh, but I think that when I look at, at other professions and, and other people I know, I'm happy and my kids are happy. So that, that sort of financial incentive uh, and that pushing against that gender imbalance in the industry, I actually feel that it's starting to change. And I, uh, yeah, my kids forgive me for eating so many lentils when they were young. <laughs> questions on that point um why do you think there is a glass ceiling when there's so many women in the museum sector not sure and I think that uh you know a lot of the time people have um ascribed that to uh maternity um yeah. that that women have taken career breaks or they haven't pushed as hard I think also you know if you work in a museum, predominantly you work for government. Um, you know, it's there's very few private museums uh, that are funded uh, in Australia. So you're either working for federal, state or local government. Um, a lot of how you get ahead in museums is networking and doing every hour under the sun you can. And I think in the past, a lot of that has been... Uh, more able to be done uh, by men who weren't focusing on family in the way that women were. Uh, now I think that that's changing. And I think that, um, you know, I often have people surprised that I have children. Uh, and, you know, for me, it's actually made me a better museum professional mm -hmm. um, because I can always run things past them. 
and and you know literally like uh, I, I I was deciding whether I was going to take a job and um, I asked my my son who was six at the time I said should I take this job and at the time I was unemployed uh, mm. I had just arrived from Canada I had two kids uh, a husband who legally wasn't allowed to work with a visa mm. and I had this museum opportunity, but I was a little bit concerned about it. And, and so rather than, than him asking me, I asked him and he said, mum, it's just about sheep. It'll be very boring. And I thought, yes, you're right. It's just about sheep and it will be very, very boring. And I didn't take the job. Um, and then later saw uh, the council I would have been working with on a 730 report uh, and was very glad that I had chosen not to take that role. Um, but I think that, that, you know, it's, it's people have an expectation uh, now that, that perhaps they didn't have when I was starting out. I'm 53 now. So mm. I started in, I started my university career in the late eighties. Uh, and now I think that there's more women in positions of power and we're supporting each other. Uh, we're promoting each other. And I think that that, um, that powerful sisterhood, uh, which in the past has been a powerful brotherhood, is starting to change. Oh, awesome. And I really resent having to ask this question because it's such a cliche. But Go for it. when you were young and you had two kids and you were at university and then you were working at the women's prison, how did you manage to balance all of that? I didn't know I had an option. I just had to keep going. And, and so at that time as well, I was working two jobs. So in order to fund my museum uh, studies postgraduate, um, I got a job in a tattoo shop as a body piercer. So that was really useful with the kids because I could bring the playpen into the tattoo shop, which was, was just women, and um, I could do my job and care for the kids at the same time because my husband was a student. And, uh, and then in the mornings I would, I would go off and, or, you know, it was a part-time job at the jail. So I would go and do that. And then I would swap the childcare duties over. My mother uh, lived in the same town. So we'd, she was a student as well. So we'd sort of like literally trade off between classes. I never thought I had an option. I never, I never thought that I could give up or I could stop. Um, I've always been an incredibly energetic person. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm, I guess I'm pretty full on. Um, and, and so I just did it because the worst thing for me is boredom. If I'm bored and I don't have enough to do, then I'm dreadful. Uh, if I'm too busy, I'm actually think I'm at my best. Uh, so yeah, so we just, we just kept going and it's that network you know, takes a village. Um, I, I would, I never thought that uh, there was any areas that kids were off bounds. So I'd bring kids to lectures. I, <laughs> I would like, you know, I, I took a three month old to an international conference in Germany once. Uh, and my mother met there. I never thought that it would be easy. I always thought that I had chosen a difficult path. 
but that it was valuable and that the choices that I would make would make a difference. And so even though it's not like my sister, who's a medical professional and, and makes a difference in a way that people understand, I still needed, um, I still needed meaning in my job. I still needed purpose. And so, yeah, maybe, I don't know, there's no I in team, but there's a Y in Marta. Maybe I just like push myself way too hard. Um, but, but I guess that's the thing. I could have had a job, but I chose a career and I chose a calling. And I think that's how I ended up director of Newcastle Museum. I was about to say the same thing. Like just thinking about all the choices that have led you to this point. I, I'm pretty, I think you were right about yourself and where you excel the most and like your capacity as a person. Sorry, I'm rambling, but. <laughs> that's all right. And like I when know. I was, I was working at the tattoo shop, I was working at the women's jail. I had a young child. I was um, doing museum studies. And then I also had a radio show in college radio in Canada. And I thought that was normal, man. Like I thought that's what people did. Um, and now I realize that, you know, as my, my current husband said, that just reeks of effort. Um, I, I always thought reeking of effort was like really good. I grew up on a farm. Um, and so you didn't have holidays and, you know, like, and my dad was doing his PhD and we worked on a farm and we were sort of self-sufficient. So always my uh, idea is that, that you are what you do and you do how you help. And so I, I guess now I'm sort of finding myself, like I go home at the end of the day and I'm like, wow. Okay. Like I'm not crazy busy. And, and I have to adjust to being comfortable and, and taking time out. So, so I'm, I'm, yeah, the, the question, how did you do it? It's more like, how do you don't do it for me? <laughs> I think that's probably the question. I understand. I'm also that person as in, I don't know how to stop working. And when I'm not, I feel guilty for not working. Yeah. <laughs> like I used to put on gigs for, for um, punk bands when I was 15. So I would like book the bands, cook them dinner, wash their clothes, uh, put up the posters, work the front door. And that was my fun. And like other people would just come and pay five bucks and go to the show. Like, and, and I don't know how to, so I go to parties and I always think I've got to be like passing around the hors d'oeuvres. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, so, so I, I think that I'm trying to learn as I get older, that I'm allowed to take time out and just not have to be, you know, uh, doing something for someone else. But but really, you know, I think that that level of energy uh, has really, and, and black coffee uh, has probably stood me in very good stead to get to where I am um, to the point that I can, I can make positive decisions. Uh, I can create a culture that reflects my personal beliefs. So I have a accessible, integrated museum with the community that puts those difficult but important stories first. Um, and, and I think that it all comes back to that 15 year old lugging sound equipment and, and spending a weekend signing petitions. Oh man, I wanna be you when I grow up. I've decided. <laughs> <laughs> Bless your cotton socks. <laughs> <laughs> 
it's it look it is fun being me i you know i i i i do enjoy it immensely um you know i think that that um you know just despite anything that's that's difficult and and tiring you know i i am i'm very pleased that i've gotten through and you know like i've gone through major issues with you know bullying and family breakdown and and some really horrible stuff with health i was i was told i was going to be blind uh by the age of 52 and have gone through multiple surgeries to save my sight due to glaucoma um so get your precious check sarah okay. uh but you know, in the long run, I don't think that I'd be as happy now if I hadn't waded through all those difficult situations. The the level of resilience, it takes a lot to shake me now. Uh, and I think that that really I'm pleased I wouldn't I wouldn't change a thing. Well, that would normally be the perfect note to wrap this up on. But I have to ask you one final question. Yeah, sure. Um, so, and that is, and you've given a bunch of examples throughout this, but what is the best piece of advice you've ever received? Mm. Wow. Okay. As a, as a people manager, I had a wonderful mentor who was uh, outside of my field, but close enough. So she was, she was a head of library services. And um, I was frustrated once trying to uh, get people to be as excited as me about a project. And she said, I always used to say, I only ask of my staff what I do myself. And then she said, and then I realized I'm the boss and I have a career and I get paid a lot more than everyone else. And I'm so focused. That's why I'm the boss. Some people, want to come in, do the job and go home. And that's okay. Do not expect everyone in your life to be you. Um, and expect that, respect other people's differences and use them uh, when you go through life. And that's probably the best advice uh, that I've ever had. Um, besides my dad who said, don't become a lawyer because they lie for a living. That's probably the second best piece of advice. <laughs> oh, honestly, same here. I needed to hear that from someone. I'm mm. glad it was you. Yeah. <laughs> that puts things in perspective. <laughs> <laughs> but um, is there anything you'd like to say before I wrap this up? Uh, no. Um, just it's been really great to be able to talk about what I do. It, it uh, reinforces and reminds me why I get up in the morning. And it's always good to reflect on, on yourself and your choices and your decisions. And I guess for people starting uh, out and looking at those kind of careers, be yourself, take a risk and prepare for a long haul because the rewards are always there. Um, it's not necessarily a pay packet. Uh, it might be about traveling or... Um, what you do for your community or the knowledge that in a hundred years time, the choices you've made will make a difference, but it is worth persevering. Uh, don't expect everything to go your way. And if it doesn't just learn and just learn and keep going. Don't stop. That, oh, 
I, I would applaud if it wouldn't like mess up the recording. That's incredible. <laughs> Good. Julie, it was fantastic to have you on the show today. Honestly, we have you every week if we could. I just know that everyone at Sancta will benefit from your wisdom and your expertise. So I wish you the absolute best of luck with the museum reopening. Once I'm double vaxxed, I'll see you there. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you. That was wonderful. Thank you for that. And look, one of our objects from our collection is a wedding dress. And it was a student of your college who got married in uh, the college chapel in the late 1960s. Uh, and so, yeah, so when you when you contacted me, I was like, oh, that's the same as the wedding dress. So good luck with it, Sarah, and I'll talk to you again. You absolutely will. I'll talk soon. Thank okay. you. Okay, sounds Bye. good. Bye. <laughs>